Reading is Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Please stand, if able, for the reading of God's word. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. And as was just read, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And if you would like to follow along in the pew Bibles that are in front of you, you can find that on page 837. And uh, if you do not have a Bible or know someone that might need a Bible because they don't have one, I want you guys to remember that we have uh, Bibles out in the lobby, these blue paperback versions uh, that are free for the taking. Uh, We want everyone in this congregation to have the scriptures readily available to them. Uh, And so whether or not you're following along in the Pew Bible, you grab one of the paperbacks or you just have it on your phone or uh, whatever the case may be, I do encourage you uh, to be turning there again to page 837 in the Pew Bible. Bibles as we work through this passage. And uh, as you guys are turning there, let me give you just a little bit of context as to where we've been so far in this, this new series in the Gospel of Mark and kind of where we're going in the next couple of weeks. So the passage that we just heard read this morning, it fits within the context of a series of conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders. So in chapter 1, we saw that Jesus' popularity was rising among the people as he was healing all those that had different diseases and exercising demons and bringing the joy and the hope and the preview of the kingdom to the region of Galilee. The people were rejoicing and in awe of not just the healing that he was giving, but the authority of which he was teaching. But at the same time, as his popularity was rising among the people, his opposition was coming from among all these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes as they're, they're described. And what we're going to see over the next couple of uh, sermons is that each of these uh, kind of interactions between the religious leaders and Jesus do two things. One is that they reveal some aspect of the the Pharisees and the scribes' vision of the kingdom that is deficient because Jesus is revealing who he really is as the Messiah and what he has really come to do. And those visions of the kingdom are going to be at odds. And you don't have to turn over there really quickly, but at the end of these series of conflicts in chapter 3, verse 6, it says that the religious leaders, after all of this conflict with Jesus, left Jesus and went to go plot his death with the political officials. And so this is a real uh, flashpoint in the ministry of Jesus, that as he begins to reveal who he really is, he is actually putting himself on the line for us. 
And then our passage this morning, uh, Jesus does something that is utterly scandalous in order to draw attention to those realities of who he is as the Messiah and what he has come to do. And so one of the things that we're going to see this morning is that while the scribes and the Pharisees seek to quarantine themselves from the sinners of the world around them, hoping that their vision of the kingdom, that we are the remnant that is going to be pure so that when the Lord returns, we will be saved. That vision of the kingdom is being completely turned upside down as Jesus throws a party with the worst of the worst, those who are obviously spiritually infected and unclean. And it's really, really difficult because in our society and in our culture, we don't necessarily have the, the, the categories of clean and unclean happening around us all the time. But what Jesus does in visiting Levi and calling him as a disciple and throwing a party with tax collectors and sinners would have been the most controversial thing he could have done to date. More than touching the leper, more than healing all the sick, more than teaching controversially, having a party with sinners to the Pharisees was the most compromising thing that you could do. And what Jesus is going to do in this passage and in this interaction with the Pharisees and with Levi and with the tax collectors and the sinners is that he is going to reveal that he is not the Messiah that they all thought he was going to be, but that instead Jesus is the great physician. And he has come to graciously grant healing and to save those who desperately know how much they need him while at the same time warning those who are dangerously blinded by their spiritual sickness of self-righteousness. And so what we're going to see in this passage is a series of gracious movements and a series of gracious warnings. And the way I want us to kind of work through the passage to kind of orient us toward what is actually going on and why this is so scandalous and how we can learn so much from this about how Jesus moves toward us and how we ought to move toward others as his people. So we're just going to look at three things. We're going to read the passage and we're going to ask, what the world, what in the world is going on? There is so much here that reads easily, but the understanding of it is so foreign to us. And then we're going to ask the question, why are the people responding in the ways that they are responding? And we're going to talk about cultural stuff. We're also going to talk about heart-level realities of why people are responding in these ways. And then last, we're going to talk about what can we learn about ourselves from this demonstration of the kingdom by Jesus and the teaching that accompanies it. That's where we're going. But before we do that, would you please pray with me as we... Come to the Lord in his word. Heavenly Father, we are so dependent upon you for life, for understanding, for righteousness, for wholeness. Lord, we need you this morning. And we thank you for your word, that you've preserved it down to this very day and given us a gracious and wonderful opportunity to think about it, to hear it and to consider all the dimensions 
uh, of this aspect of your word. Would you use it, Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts, change us and shape us and mold us to be people of the way, those who have placed our hope and our trust in Jesus alone, who see him and savor him as the great physician. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So before we dive in, I want to, I think, Carl in his prayer touched on something and I went, oh no, the thunder's being stolen. But I don't think it really matters because literally every time you turn on the news, somebody is talking about the coronavirus. And, and strangely, not to incite any fear or anything like that, I think that there is a lot that we can learn about this passage by quickly considering some of the things about the coronavirus that we've been hearing on the news that might be concerning. And one of the things that's true about sickness is that you can be sick and not know it, right? You, you know, now, there is the obvious, I'm a parent, so I know this, you can be sick and it's very obvious to everybody, sniffling nose, coughing chest, other types of, you know, symptoms that might come, and it's obvious to everybody that you need to go home and get away from us because you are sick and we don't want what you have. But then there's the other aspect of people that don't show any symptoms. And we mingle with them, and we shake hands with them, and we hug them, and we eat meals with them. And then lo and behold, a couple of days later, we start to feel these symptoms. And I don't know if every other family does this, or maybe it was just my family growing up. We always ask this random question. There's no way to know the answer, but we were always like, man, I wonder who got me sick. Apparently not every family does that, but mine growing up did. And one of the things that's really crazy about this idea of sickness is that in the first century, and not just the first century, but for lots of different centuries, spiritual matters were talked about as infectious diseases. Not in the sense that like if you believed uh, something incorrectly that that meant you were physically sick, but rather to say if you are associated with a sinful thing, it is as if you are infectious to the rest of the community. Let me give you an example. In ancient Greece, there is literally a crime on their law books that says you could be put to death for, quote, corrupting the youth. Think about that. You have a person teaching something that is wrong and that is being infectious and they took it so seriously that it was the death penalty that put Socrates to death. Crazy, right? We don't have those categories in our minds, but those categories matter very much when we come to this passage. So let's look really quickly here at what the heck is going on in this account of Jesus. So turn, turn really quickly to verses 13 and 14. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So the story begins in this part where Jesus gets up from his kind of healing and teaching situations that he's got going on in Capernaum. And he starts walking along the sea and teaching those who are coming to him. And in Mark chapter 1, we kind of have a summary of what the teaching of Jesus was probably like on a consistent basis, right? If you flip back over there, Jesus, the summary of Jesus' uh, entire message was this. The time is fulfilled 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he was demonstrating that, and he was teaching that, and people were flocking to him. And you can imagine, as people are walking with him, listening to him teach on the, on the side of the Sea of Galilee, that they're starting to think, man, we just saw this paralytic get up and walk. We just saw all these people get healed at Peter's house. This leper just showed up and was cured of leprosy. There's some serious, awesome stuff going on. The kingdom of God is at hand. What is Jesus going to do next? And Jesus, in the midst of all that hubbub, he turns and he sees a tax collector. Now, we hear that and we think IRS. Which is, in and of itself, my wife loves doing taxes. And so, you know, there's like this weird love-hate relationship we have with tax season. When it comes to tax collectors in the first century, these were deplorable people. And here's why. A tax collector was a person employed or appointed by the Roman government, the occupying government over the people of Israel. And the way in which a tax collector made their money wasn't just by collecting the taxes for Rome and then Rome gave them a paycheck. No. The way that it worked is that a tax collector would give additional fines, like convenience fees. Or they would skim a little off the top and then go back and get more from you in a form of fraud or extortion. And especially if you were a Jew and you were a tax collector, that was exceptionally despicable because it meant that you were the absolute epitome of a traitor to your people. You had turned your back on your family, you had turned your back on your God, and you had sold yourself for the money that you could get and the lavish luxury that you could afford, all because you were a tax collector. The religious leaders at the time said in, in lots of different portions of the Talmud that you could lie to a tax collector without committing sin because they knew that if you told them the truth, they would steal from you. Crazy, right? And so Jesus turns from the crowd who's looking for him to do the next great kingdom thing and he says to the most despicable person in the room, follow me, be my disciple. And Mark does not uh, capture this in his narrative. He probably should have, though, because there would have been a gasp. They would have said, what is going on? I understand fishermen, but a tax collector as a member, a significant member of your kingdom, that is insane. But it doesn't stop there. The controversy and the scandal keep going. Because what happens is Levi, totally exposed as this tax collector, responds to the call. And in Luke, that has the same story going on, actually says that Levi left everything and did exactly what it says in verse 14. He followed Jesus. And where did he go? to the next part of our story, to a feast with more tax collectors and more sinners. Look in verse 15. As he, that is Levi, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So 
Levi, this most despicable person for everyone to see, realizes that he is the next big thing in this kingdom expression. Something that he wasn't expecting, something that the crowd wasn't expecting, something that definitely the religious leaders weren't expecting. And all of a sudden, he goes home and Jesus is with him. And what happens? Tax collectors come, sinners come, and Jesus throws a party. In the Greek, when it says that tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus, what it's trying to communicate is that Levi wasn't the center of attention at the party in his house. Jesus was the center of attention at the party in his house. Jesus was the host. He was welcoming the tax collectors. He was welcoming the sinners, those who are obviously unclean, obviously spiritually infected. And so it makes sense that when we get to verse 16, that the religious leaders would say to one another and to Jesus' disciples, what is going on? Why does he, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? I hope you guys can feel that tension. If Jesus was not who he said he is in the next sentence, he would be unclean. This would be compromising. This is a deal breaker for kingdom language. Except Jesus' response is this, and it colors the whole narrative. And when Jesus heard what what the Pharisees had said, he said to his disciples, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That portion of the story is so important that once you read it the first time, you need to go back and reread the story again. It's like a good, good movie. Because once you realize that the words physician and sick are associated with the words righteous and sinners, all of a sudden, it starts to make sense of why people responded the ways that they did. So let's jump back up to verse 14 and ask ourselves, if we know what Levi is like, why did Levi respond the way that he did? Remember, it says, And Jesus passed by, and he saw Levi sitting at the tax booth. Levi knew that he was sick. He had the stuffy nose. He had the bad cough. He had all the symptoms of a sinner. It was obvious to him. It was obvious to Jesus. It was obvious to the crowd. It was obvious to his family. Everybody knew. And so when Jesus says, follow me as the physician... Levi does the most logical thing. When you're sick, where do you go? To the doctor. If you know that someone has and can bring you a cure for the disease that you have and that everybody knows that you have, it makes sense why Levi's response was simply to obey and follow. Levi knew that he was sick. And because Levi knew that he was sick and that he was going to be following the great physician, when he got to his house, who did he invite? Other sick people.
people. Let's take the coronavirus, for example. If there was a cure, everybody would know about it and everybody would want it at their doorstep. Or they would go to the country that it had. Everybody would be focusing their energies on getting to the house that has the remedy. And that's exactly what you see. Tax collectors and sinners reclining at table with Jesus. Now, in the first century, when you say you're reclining at table with somebody, it doesn't just mean, hey, we're having snacks. Come over for the game. We'll have a nice time. Reclining at table meant you were showing a sense of solidarity and connection and unity with this people as if to say, these are my people and I'm going to take care of them and they'll take care of me too. Right? And so as Jesus at the center of the party, what this passage is trying to communicate is that the reason that the sinners responded so passionately was that they saw hope at the center of this feast. A hope that wasn't just passing through, but that was actually communicating, I'm with you guys. That had never been said to them before. No wonder they came. But we keep going, because that's not the last group of people that has a response to this. Levi responds by simply obeying. The sinners respond joyfully by gathering around Jesus. And the Pharisees, depending on how you want to like read it or translate it, they're either miffed or confused. If you're in the Gospel of Luke, he's going to say they're miffed. He's going to say they grumbled against the disciples. And in Mark, it's not quite as strong a language. Regardless, the Pharisees do not know what to do with this band of people who all of a sudden see the remedy for their uncleanliness, for their sin. And here's why. The Pharisees are spiritually blind to their own sickness. They are exactly the same as the tax collectors and the sinners. That is what Jesus says. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you can hear it in his tone. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And by the way, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. That doesn't mean the Pharisees were righteous and Jesus was like, yeah, just stay over there because you're totally fine. And I'll go over here and help out these poor sinners. What Jesus is trying to say is you don't get it. You need me just as much as they do and you don't see it. That is why you are confused. That is why this party bothers you so much. So what do we learn from this story? What does it tell us about ourselves? Well, I think depending on who we're looking at and who we resonate with the most will tell us a little bit about the state of our heart and how we relate to Jesus. Let's look at Levi, for example. Back up in verse 14. Notice the simplicity of the call that Jesus gives Levi. As Levi is exposed in front of everybody as a tax collector and as a sinner, 
Jesus says two words. Follow me. He doesn't say, follow me and do something. Follow me and make sure you get connected to all of these different things because now you're a disciple. Follow me and make sure you do X, Y, and Z. It's just follow me. This is the essence of Jesus' call on our lives to expose us as sinners, to reveal himself as the great physician, and for you to rest in those two words, follow me. And how you respond to those words will show you the state of your heart. Levi's response was simple. He just got up and he said, I know what I need, so I know exactly what I need to do. Or maybe your response is more like the sinners and the tax collectors at the feast. They have been exposed as sinners. But they're in this together. They're all gathering together. And so what they start to see is, listen, Jesus is at the center of this party. And he is the great physician. So what we need to do is we need to invite others with the hope that we have received. Both of those examples, Levi and the sinners, show you that you are seeking the kingdom and the king as it's really being revealed. The kingdom that is coming for sinners, not the self-righteous. But if you find yourself resonating more with the Pharisees, of being bothered when there are people in your life and in our church and kind of in your Christian experience that look and sound and feel and have the symptoms of sinners, and you think, why can't those people just get their act together? Why can't those people just stop sinning? Why can't we just get it right, guys? Come on. Right? That is the pharisaical mentality. And Jesus is warning against self-righteousness. So if you find yourself, for example, thinking to yourself, I don't think that this person in my life is worth praying for, for their salvation, because they're a lost cause. Or the people in this group are too bad or too evil or too wicked to ever even imagine that Jesus might actually come to them first and save them first. Then you need to be asking yourself, are you more like a sinner and a tax collector at the party? Or are you more like a confused Pharisee? Because here's the reality. This passage is clearly saying something very simple. We are all sick with sin. The question is, what kind of sick are you? Do you see it? Or are you blind to it? Are you the tax collector? Or are you the Pharisee? Because Jesus is the great physician, and he has not come for those who do not see that they are sick. They will not go to his doctor's office, as it were. 
But he has come and promised healing to sinners. It is my prayer, Grace Church, that we would be willing to embrace the grace of being exposed as sinfully sick. So that we would heed Jesus' words of grace or Jesus' words of warning. That we would follow him alone for that healing. That we would enjoy his fellowship together as the body of Christ, right? Sinners made saints by the blood of Jesus. So that all who look to him in faith, all who look to the cross for healing, would not only receive that promise, but be a beautiful and a glorious testimony, like the house party that Jesus was at the center of, so that the world around us would say, what kind of kingdom is this? What type of king is this? And we would say, his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and for its clarity. Holy Spirit, sift our hearts and help us to discern what type of sinner we are. Do we see our need or are we blind? If we see our need, Lord, I pray that right now you would be impressing your great love and care as the great physician into the hearts of those who are broken over their sin and know they need help. And for those who are excited because there is a remedy, Holy Spirit, would you move in them to invite others to see you and to savor you. And if there are Pharisees among us and even in me, Lord, would you break our hearts so that we could see we are messed up and we desperately need the healing that your cross provides. Thank you for identifying with us, being for us, and calling us to be your disciples even though we have no business being in your kingdom. It is only by your grace that we say thank you and only by your grace that we worship you and are a visible manifestation of your invisible kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.